Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So we're about a third of the way through um, this structured study of jhana. Um, and this is the second half of um, the Sutta on Dependent Origination, the Paticca Samuppada Sutta. Um, so I'm just going to touch on something uh, that we finished with last week and then get to the rest of the Sutta. The Buddha asked a rhetorical question, and what is clinging and maintaining? There are four types of clinging. Clinging to sensory stimulus, everything that's going on around us. Clinging to views or clinging to my conditioned thinking. Clinging to precepts and practices, thinking that there's um, actions that I can take or bodily manipulations, sitting in certain forms, uh, endless bowing, all kinds of things. Um, Visualizations. Uh, clinging to those things as a way of salvation is something we recognize um, as clinging to and maintaining a fabrication. Um, and ultimately, all of that is clinging to a doctrine of self, that the whole point of my life is to promote this thing, this me, and keep me going in the world. As opposed to the, um, the, the view rooted in wisdom that I don't need any justification or explanation, I'm here, I'm having a human life. My own humanity is all that I need to know to justify my existence. I'm here. Um, because of that clinging um, to a doctrine of self, that leads to a craving for continued uh, ways and means of maintaining that self. And so our whole life becomes a task of fulfilling that craving for maintaining a doctrine of self. Any questions about that point? Because that's really the, the heart of the matter. That's what we do out of ignorance. That's the point of this, this sutta and really the point of the Buddha's Dhamma to recognize that because of ignorance of four noble truths, I begin to create a fabricated or corrupted view of myself in relation to the world. And that leads to a type of clinging to those views that promotes constant craving. Um, a word that's often used, uh, a Pali word that's often used, Pali Sanskrit, is tanha, T-A-N-H-A, which means thirst. But it's not the typical kind of thirst like I have right now for a quick sip of water. It's a constant, unquenchable thirst for, for eye-making. And it can never be satisfied. I get a new car today, I want a new one tomorrow, so watch out for that, Julia. Um, Whatever it is, this, this thing that modern society calls an ego and modern society teaches that that ego should be mollified and examined and satisfied when the Buddha teaches that ego, that self-referential view of self, is the insatiable beast that we must recognize and abandon. Um, I'm going to get to... Um, the second half now. So I just want to re reintroduce that part. And that section of the Paticca Samapada Sutta concludes with that statement that this is called contact at the, at the sixth sense base. So we're at that part of dependent origination 
ignorance giving rise to fabric ignorance of four noble truths giving rise to fabrications that lead to now I'm coming in contact with the world through my senses but a mind that is rooted in ignorance a lack of understanding a lack of wisdom and so I start creating through my life experiences an ever a never ending um, practice of eye making and another way of calling that is name and form. The Pali is Nama Rupa. Those of you that study um, some Buddhist te- texts, you'll come across that. Um, it's another one of those, excuse me, Pali Sanskrit words that um, can have almost an infinite number of meanings depending on the context. Let's see who is that. Give me one second, please. Oh, our friend Matteo. Just let Matteo come in. Hello, Matteo. Hi, everybody. Just beginning the, the uh, talk, I introduced today's uh, talk. It's the second half of Dependent Origination. And we're at that point in the sutta where uh, from ignorance of four noble truths gives rise to fabrications or a corrupted view of self. And so how we live in the world uh, as human beings is we use our senses to come in contact with the world. That, that, that contact package is called the sixth sense base or the sixth sense media, our, our five physical senses and the sixth physical sense of consciousness. But when that consciousness is rooted in ignorance, it's interpreting what is coming in, what it is coming in contact with through that veil of ignorance. And so the resulting conclusions about what's occurring right now in this moment is rooted in that same ignorance and so rooted in self-referential views or name and form nama rupa and again the buddha asked a rhetorical question and what is name and form what constitutes this this um what constitutes the vehicle and the motivation for eye making the first thing is feeling that's what animates our lives, isn't it? If we weren't, if we if we didn't have the ability to feel, we would have no um, ability to recollect that feeling in this moment and to make sense of my life. No, not to reference my life according to that animating factor, feeling. The problem with a mind rooted in ignorance. When feeling arises, we see it as me. We identify with the feeling. I am that. I am the anger. I am the joy. I am the sorrow. I am the resentment. When all that it is, is a feeling that a mature human being uses to inform itself about what's occurring. The feeling is, our feelings are, is, is the encyclopedia of our lives. But because of eye making, we can't see it clearly. We go from a feeling to a perception. And that perception, now rooted in ignorance, creates an intention. And that intention directs our attention. Are you clear? The intention is set now rooted in ignorance and that's, that's now describing how I'm formulating my attention of this moment. All those mental contacts. And that whole instantaneous process, a process that occurs out of time, now leads to or underlies the contact. Feeling, perception, intention, attention, 
and contact. The Buddha continues, Discriminating self-referential consciousness is name. Remember the Nagara Sutta where the Buddha describes the feedback loop that he recognizes that he was caught up in and that all human beings are caught up in and that Dharma practice gives us the ability to recognize and interrupt, stop it at any point in, that, in the whirlwind of thoughts. Stop it here and recognize in this one thought, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. And in that way, whatever feeling is generated in this moment from a, a well-concentrated mind now resting in right view, that feeling is always a, an informatively pr- pleasant feeling, meaning pleasant in, the, in, the, in, the, uh, in respect that it's informing me. And so the ultimate pleasure of that feeling is simply wisdom, understanding what's occurring in my life through my feeling now informing my thinking, my consciousness properly or well-framed by the Eightfold Path, well-framed by right view. Everybody following? So again, I'm just describing, or the Buddha is describing from 2,600 years ago, how we get into this mess, how we get caught up in dukkha. And this is the point of contact. And what happens at the point of contact? Discriminating self-referential consciousness is name. I've given a name to this mass of dukkha. The elements of water, fire, earth, and wind, that which makes up physical forms is called form. Everything, beginning with this body, is, is the first form we're referencing, but then all the physical forms in the physical world is form. Excuse me. So then the Buddha goes a little bit further with the description. Name and form is discriminating consciousness because of ignorance now bound to or clinging to physical form. That one line describes the problem. I've given a name to this form. I self-identified with this form. And so now this form is me. And all of the limitations of this form are now me. As the Buddha describes dukkha, aging, sickness, death sorrow, regret, um, pain, distress, all of these things that, that are distracting to us because we don't understand the feeling underlying the distraction. But once we understand that every feeling is impersonal and no feeling should be, de- should be used to describe me, it should be something that I understand in this moment as what's occurring in my life, as the informative agent to what's occurring. You could also say the animating agent of my life. Again, with no feelings, we're stone. But with feeling, informing a consciousness rooted in understanding, we now have what? An awakened, fully mature human being. The one thing we all want, whether we realize it or not, When we feel that there's something missing in our lives, it's not a new car or a a new piece of cake or a second piece of cake or anything else. Whenever we feel we're missing something in our lives, the one thing we're missing is wisdom or understanding. What was motivating me from the time I was a little kid and confused and angry about my life and not buying everything that everybody was telling me because some of it didn't make sense. But what I was missing wasn't drugs and alcohol 
or it wasn't the right job or the right relationship or the right house or the right car or the right anything except the right view. I didn't know how I fit into the world because I didn't understand me. But once we can understand ourselves and understand what we are now as fully awakened, fully mature human beings, we are simply now satisfied with being a reference point to our lives. Why are we now finally satisfied? We're no longer compelled by tanha, by thirst. How did that happen? It happened because of understanding. I understand this is me. In this moment, I'm a human being. And throughout my life, from birth to death, that's what we get as physical human beings. I can't change that fact. And I can't be more than that. But what I can be, and what is satisfying about being a human being, is being all that I can be. But we don't have to join the army to do that. What we can do is join with Adama instead of joining with Dukkha, join with wisdom by understanding this process rooted in ignorance that leads to suffering, that understanding Four Noble Truths allows us or gives us the vehicle to extricate ourselves from that initial ignorance. Name and form is discriminating consciousness bound to clinging, bound to or clinging to physical form. And what is consciousness? Notice how deep the Buddha is going. Listening to me describe this seems, or I hope it seems ordinary. It should seem ordinary if I'm teaching it the way it's intended. Because we're just describing, or the Buddha's just describing, now through me as the Dhamma teacher, what consciousness is. What is consciousness? There are six classes of consciousness. This is, this is just, just, think of the brilliance of this man to figure this out on his own. Where does consciousness arise? Is consciousness some amorphous thing that I can't really describe? Or is consciousness housed in the point of contact? Eye consciousness, ear consciousness, nose consciousness, tongue consciousness, body consciousness, and intellect consciousness. These six parts of contact form our six classes of consciousness. And we only recognize the intellect consciousness in our, in our daily life. Did you, everybody hear what Ram said? We only recognize the intellect aspect of consciousness in our daily or moment-by-moment life, and that's true. But right view gives us, gives us the, the perspective in that moment to use consciousness as it's intended, as that reference point, as a dispassionate, impersonal reference point that is now just using its consciousness, whether it's eye, ear, nose, body, intellect, I'm missing one, whatever it is, coalescing in this thing called consciousness, in that sixth point of contact or that sixth sixth aspect of consciousness. All the physical aspects of consciousness, consciousnesses, <laughs> the plural, now coalesce or, or the five physical consciousnesses coalesce and are filtered by the sixth aspect of 
or the sixth point of consciousness. Consciousness. So in that way, my mindfulness is the filtering agent, or as I describe the Eightfold Path, the limiting agent that I am born with. Um, I'm endowed with this ability to discriminate, but discriminate wisely. It's the most significantly important aspect of being a human being, knowing how to use this vehicle. This vehicle that informs my contact with what? With human life. So if the interpretive vehicle for my human life is rooted in understanding of that human life, what follows? Calm. But ongoing calm. A non-manipulated calm. A calm that's not dependent on any external value at all. It's resting in the calm of understanding. In the calm of understanding how to use these six classes of consciousness. And then the Buddha teaches us in this context what are fabrications? How do, how do fabrications form from that those six consciousnesses rooted in ignorance? Well, there are three fabrications that occur from those six consciousnesses. There's bodily fabrications, there's verbal fabri- fabrications, and there's mental fabrications. Those are the only three fabrications that we can create in our lives. That's all that we have to look at. My bodily fabrication or the fabrication of form a verbal fabrication, thinking or maintaining my story, the expressive way of myself, rooted in consciousness is now a fabrication. I'm not being honest with you or myself. And that, that verbal way, that, that ongoing story, now forms my mental fabrication, my overarching view of living in the world all now manifested in this human vehicle that is simply confused about what it is. That's all. Confusion equals a lack of understanding. A lack of understanding of what? Four noble truths, but just four. And what is ignorance? The key aspect, or the key theme is ignorance. But we don't have to, we don't have to We don't have to apply our own understanding, uh, meaning a fabricated understanding to ignorance. The Buddha teaches us clearly what ignorance is. And ignorance in relation to the only thing we really need to understand for noble truths, excuse me. So ignorance in the Dhamma is only concerned with ignorance of four noble truths. It's not concerned with ignorance of what's on the far side of Pluto or ignorance of intricate political or economic systems, or ignorance of what's on the top of a mountain, or the end of my hike, or the front seat of my new car. It's a very specific type of ignorance. Ignorance is not knowing stress. Why is that singularly or or initially important? Why does the Buddha always start out with that's the problem? Ignorance is not knowing stress. Ignorance leads to fabrications, which leads to stress. Ignorance is not knowing stress. Why the hell is that so important? Because we become so distracted by stress from birth that we spend our whole lives directed by or joined with that stress rooted in ignorance. 
Hey, John. Yes, Julia. I have a question. Please. So I know stress can be super addicting um, from, from experience. Um, so what if I, what if avoiding certain situations that I know will be high stress um, or will I know is a trigger that will cause me to fabricate more often than usual yep. is a, I feel like avoiding those types of situations yep. will show that I'm weak. Yeah. Boy, Julia, it, 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 it's, it's almost, it, it's an astonishing question um, because it really, it, it is getting to the heart of the matter. So what you're talking about in very specific situations that I'm sure you were recreating in your head that you know, we all do that um, is simply being entangled in the world. And so, but there's a fine line between recognizing entanglement in the world and not getting entangled in the world and doing it as a consequence of aversion, which is then escape from the world. So the reason why the, the Dhamma is significantly different than anything I've ever learned before, and I study in most of the modern Buddhist schools and I'm brought up in certain religions that I won't mention because some people get upset when I do, and so it's not important, um, is what to hold in mind in those situations so that I don't get entangled. And ultimately what I am holding in mind, the filter that I just mentioned a few moments ago, is this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. But that is the underlying foundation that I develop in jhana practice on my cushion and now off my cushion with the framework of the Eightfold Path, framing my view in this moment, that allows me to be disentangled in these situations, but still living in the world. So now I can do that. I can be in situations that used to cause agitation, but because of understanding, there's no agitation. But also, the Dhamma informs us in a way to make wise decisions about where to go in the world and who to associate with. And that's not aversion, that's wisdom. So I have no use for alcohol anymore. And so you'll very, very rarely find me sitting at a, at a bar because there's no reason for me to do that unless there is. And so in the past 40 plus years since I gave up alcohol, there's been probably five times that I actually was sitting at a bar. But there was a reason for it. And it wasn't to drink, it was to to talk with someone else who was sitting there. So the point I'm making, Julie, with that description is I was in a situation that used to constantly distract me towards one drink after another. But in this situation, in these five situations I mentioned, it was simply a pleasant conversation. The same situation was completely different because of the quality of my mind in that moment. And so that is what you will be developing and bringing into those situations that used to cause agitation. And now you'll simply remain calm. Or if the situation gives rise to agitation, you'll have the internal or inner poise to immediately take a breath, recognize this is not me, this is not mine, and reclaim a calm and peaceful mind in the moment. In the moment that agitation is arising, we gain the ability to not lose our minds. Or if we lose our minds and react poorly, 
maybe act in anger, maybe even hurt someone, we still have the ability at any point in that process to reclaim our mind and stop. That's what concentration gives us. At any point in our lives, if our minds are well concentrated, we can stop the, the, the process of fabrication now creating stress because we have the vehicle to do that. Do you understand, Julia? I, I have a question. Well, was, Thank you. Wait, hold on one second, Deb. Did you, did, did you understand, Julia? I did. Okay, so it's not aversion. It's understanding in that moment. Deb? I, um, just one thought in terms of something that I might have heard from the question from Julia is, is it stress at a level of you're worrying about your safety? And that's all I was curious um, about. Like, is it that amount of stress? Well, and, and any any stress in in the sense of the Dhamma is self, is caused by self-reference. So there's 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 a stress of living in the world that the Buddha describes: aging, sickness, death, etc. Not getting what you want, getting what you don't want. That's all stress. So the gradations of stress, the the um, uh, an extreme stress. You know, I'm. I got bit by a bee and I'm allergic. That's an extreme stress. Or a, a minor stress. Somebody says something that I disagree with and I feel like I have to correct them. That's another kind of stress. And all the other stressors in between. Um, maybe hearing something I don't like on the news or et cetera, et cetera. These are all stress. But but the reaction to them, whatever it is, is eye-making. It's self-referential stress. It's name and form. It's nama rupa. And that's what we have. That's what a well-concentrated mind gives us the choice about. To not I make. To not make this moment personal. And so do you see, Deb, how it relates to what we're talking about in this process that is rooted in ignorance? I, I don't have a... a um, a mature understanding of what's arising in this moment that I'm coming in contact with. And so that because my thinking is immature, I further fabricate or corrupt this moment because of the underlying immaturity in my mind, lack of understanding. And that creates a reaction or stress. But now that same mind that is sitting at the bar but no longer addicted to alcohol is not distracted towards the alcohol or the or the the, the, the the vehicle for distraction that I used to use is no longer present in me. And because I had the collective wherewithal to not go there, I was able to just stay present in that moment. Does that answer your question, Deb? Yes, I feel like I have a good understanding of it. My question was for Julia in terms of if she had an awareness of what level of stress, and I guess I was just, um, my question was out of concern. Like, is she talking about a level oh. of stress or her safety? I didn't know how, you know. Oh, you mean physical safety? That's just, yeah. Oh, yeah, Julia, so what about that? Good question. It's more of like a, me wanting to avoid a... It's not about my safety. It's more about my 
my mental health, um, a certain job that I'm unsure to take or not because it's a high stress job. Oh, it's a great question, Julia. And, and the, the Dhamma gives you the ability to, to carefully think through that. Like having a job today is important. In the society we live in, most people need a job, but being, um, uh, circumspect and thoughtful about that and not just because the job's out there doesn't mean you have to take it and considering whether that job will will lead to or it's just a naturally stress-inducing job that you'd rather not be a part of you know i mean i i would have loved to have been an air traffic controller in my life for about six minutes but that's about it you know i i would have loved to know what that job was like but i would never want the job it would it's just too damn stressful so you you it's okay to make a decision that for your own well-being this job is stressful. And again, the dhamma can only help you make that decision. You know, the the more well concentrated your mind is resting in a lack of fabrication, it you'll just make better decisions about your life. But there's also is an aspect to consider about safety. So just because we have this profound understanding doesn't mean that we can't get hurt in the world. You know, there, there's, we, we still have to consider these things. And there's also an issue of mental safety. So it's okay to make a decision that this job is just simply too stressful. That, that, that's, a, that's a wise decision. That, that, and it's, that it's for you to make. You know, it, it, it's the, excuse me. As opposed to the notion that, the conditioned notion that, well, I better take this job. Everybody thinks I have to have a job right now, so let me take one that I know might be harmful to me. So do you see how the Dhamma comes into that practical application? Yeah. Good question, Deb. So let me get back to this. So what is ignorance? Ignorance is not knowing stress. It's not knowing the origination of stress, which is what? It's not you. It's not the world. It's me. Because I'm seeing this, because I'm eye-making in this moment, I'm taking this moment personally, I am originating stress in me. I'm originating that reaction. So not knowing that is the problem. But now that I know it, as Julie was just describing, in life, in ordinary life situations, that stuff comes up, that's stress. But now I know it. Now Julia knows it. Now we can recognize it as stress arising understand it, and I no longer react to it. That's knowing stress, and that's knowing the origination of stress. That's knowing four noble truths. Ignorance is not knowing the cessation of stress. Again, that's not some far-off goal. It's in this moment. There is no Dhamma in the future or the past, is there? So knowing stress and knowing the cessation of stress is a la minute. It's right here, right now. And every time I take a breath and recognize that this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am, I know the cessation of stress. And for most Dhamma practitioners in the beginning of practice, the next moment is a, is an, is a, a moment of not knowing stress because you recreated it again. But guess what? That's an opportunity. And it's the greatest opportunity we can have to take a, take a breath, and in this moment, recognize this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. I'm simply a reference point to what's occurring. There is no longer any ignorance. As the Buddha would say, there's nothing left within me to provoke another moment rooted in ignorance. 
what is, what would have been left in Siddhartha to provoke another moment rooted in ignorance, but ignorance. So the whole point of the Dhamma is to root out and abandon all ignorance. But it's all ignorance, but focused on these four noble truths. It's not ignorance of the far side of Pluto. I can give up the need to know what's on the far side of Pluto or the need to know what you're thinking. Ignorance is not knowing the cessation of stress and ignorance is not knowing the eightfold path leading to the cessation of stress. This is called ignorance. So ignorance is not knowing stress. It's not knowing the origination of stress. It's not knowing the cessation of stress and it's not knowing the eightfold path. Does anybody here think that they can't understand ignorance in this way? Anyone? Honestly? So when I say that the Dhamma is simple, this is what I mean. It is simple. It's easy to understand what to do because our minds are are distracted. It becomes difficult. It seems hard, but that's only what's in our minds. It's only because of the level of our conditioned thinking that Dhamma practice seems difficult and for some impossible or um, simply not desirable. People that are deeply caught in, in sensual desire as the whole purpose of living, the more you're stuck in that, the more difficult letting go of clinging to sensual desire will be. And again, that's just kind of a shorthand for saying that's what the Buddha meant when he said, this is for those with just a speck of dust in their eyes. And we see it in our own practice. This is called ignorance. Now, from what I just referenced, letting go of all ignorance, now from the remainderless fading and cessation of ignorance comes the cessation of fabrications. So remember the beginning of dependent origination, what stress is dependent on for its origination, is ignorance. From the remainderless fading of that and cessation of that ignorance comes the cessation of fabrications. So that progression that began in ignorance leading to fabrications now has no beginning. We've ended ignorance. How did we end it? Because in this moment, I didn't give birth to it. I didn't begin it. I didn't become ignorant in this moment. How did I do that? How did I stop the progression through concentration? through being able to control my mind and have my mind framed by, and each and every thought framed by, right view and knowing stress. Again, does anybody feel that they can't understand ignorance? Because that's all that I need to bring in this moment. If I'm reacting to what's occurring in my life in any way, it's because there's something, there's some aspect of ignorance of not what's occurring because that's a distraction. What am I ignorant of? I'm ignorant of four noble truths. Going back to my, uh, my active alcoholism, I wasn't ignorant of the processes of alcoholism. What I didn't realize is I was experiencing the processes of active alcoholism and the consequences of it. That's what I was missing. And that you could say that was both the practical experience and the metaphorical experience of what I was missing in my entire life because of that profound distraction, meaning alcohol and drugs. Is everybody following me with that? Because it, it could be a little bit um, obtuse 
But if you if you relate that that type of addiction to all addiction, everybody's addicted to eye making. Some people it manifests in that obvious way. Some people it's not so obvious. Constant worry, constant Facebooking, constant Twitter, constant food, constant golf, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The problem with ignorance is it creates a type of compulsion towards maintaining ignorance, and it manifests in different ways for different people. But the result is the same. So with me, there was no value, and I think it's obvious, there's no value in understanding how I became addicted or understanding how drugs and alcohol, the chemical composition and where did that come from, you know, or, the, or even, I, I once read a huge book, I mean, it was five or 600 pages on clinical alcoholism just so I could understand it. But I didn't, I didn't understand that process. That whole exploration occurred before I stopped using drugs and alcohol. What caused me or allowed me the ability to understand drugs and out al- or, or quit drugs and alcohol was understanding the underlying motiv- motivating property, which was the same as what we're studying here. Self-centeredness. Now think about just compulsive behavior. Don't, not, don't try to get out of your mind the, the addict alcoholic and just relate that to compulsive behavior. What is it? Compulsive behavior is the inability to not interrupt one thought, one compulsive thought after another, after another. That's how ignorance is maintained, through compulsive ignorance. Again, in some ways it manifests obviously, in some ways it's more subtle. It could be just an ongoing preoccupation with who I am in the world. How do people see me? But that's a constant compulsion. And it's constant eye-making. But from the remainderless fading and cessation of that ignorance comes a cessation of fabrication. From the cessation of the fabrication, I need something to compensate for my life. I need a drug. I need golf. I need relationships. I need sex. I need anything. And it, remember how we touched on it earlier. That type of contact is insatiable, whatever it is, however it manifests. But from the remainderless fading of that ignorance, the compulsion fades. The problem, what I'm saying is the problem isn't the compulsion. We get distracted by the compulsion and try to resolve the compulsion rather than resolve ignorance. We get lost in resolving compulsion and we fail to resolve ignorance. Because ignorance compels you to ignore it. It's, it's, it's part of the word. Ignorance is the feedback loop that, that Siddhartha described. From the cessation of name and form comes the cessation of the sixth sense base. From the cessation of self-referential views comes the cessation of the sixth sense base. From the cessation of self-referential views comes the cessation of using my senses in an ignorant way. I'm doing this to myself. And it's up to me. Nobody else can do this for me. Nobody else can say, you are no longer ignorant of Four Noble Truths. That's not possible. But what is possible, and what every human being who develops the right effort and right intention to do this, can understand these four truths, these Four Noble Truths. Again, I'll ask the question, does anybody think they can't understand stress? the origination of stress, the cessation of stress, or the simple eightfold path that leads to the cessation of stress. That's really the one question we should ask ourselves as sincere Dharma practitioners. 
can I actually do this? And of course the answer is yes. It's obvious that it's yes. Of course we can do it. From the cessation of the sixth sense base, using the senses for, to further ignorance, comes a cessation of contact. Now I'm no longer using my contact with, with the world That was just Julia thanking us for the good class. Um, I'm no longer using the world, which is incapable of, of satisfying desire, the way the world is intended to be for me. As where I live my life. Do you see? There's nothing out in the world that is hurtful to me in a personal way. There can't be. How could it be? Do you have a, do you have a, do you hate me? Do you want to live your life? And I, I'm, again, just to create the, the ridiculous scenario of living your life distracted by who I am. I mean, people do that. We, I mean, look, look what's going on in the world today. We're, we're so distracted by certain individuals that if only they weren't in the world, I'd be okay. I mean, it just, it's such a ridiculous thought, isn't it? And, and what's the resolution of that thought? That the world is so awful. Where's the thought? Where is that thought? Something's going to happen to me. Or I might not get what I want today. I might not get what I need today. Where's the thought? It's not, a, it's not occurring out there. And it's not generated by what's outside of me. It's occurring because in this moment, I'm coming in contact with the world and my view of the world. And whether it's my view of the world that, that is clouding my thinking, so I'm just stuck in my head and I'm not even seeing you, or it's all of that in my interacting with you that is now diminishing my interaction with you and so the meaningfulness of my life in this moment, not your life. But if I really am concerned about you, wouldn't I want to bring all of me to you? If I think that the whole point is to save the world, which we all fall into at one point or another, wouldn't I want to bring all of me to you? But the Dhamma teaches me that, no, wait a minute, I can't save anybody. But I can learn that the most loving thing I can do for myself and all of the sentient beings is to take to the Dhamma. Why? So I'm no longer fabricating myself to you. So I can be a mature human being in your life. What else could I hope to bring another human being but me and all of me? If I really care about other human beings, the most loving thing I can do for myself and you is obvious, isn't it? To wake the hell up. To no longer be a burden to the world. We have zillions of people worried about what we're all doing to the world. We're screaming about it. We're creating ridiculous legislation that only hurts people because we don't know what the hell we're doing. Because we don't know what we're doing is occurring between our ears. Because we have no control of our thoughts. But when I can control my thoughts, when I recognize this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am, then I don't have to save you. Because I'm no longer seeing myself in you or seeing myself in the world, or seeing myself in poverty, or pollution, or in gold, or in 96-inch flat-screen TVs, or the fastest cars, or the prettiest spouses. That's no longer me. 
And so I'm no longer creating conflict in the world because you're not giving me what I want. Whether it's a pristine planet or a person with certain physical endowments that I think I need to be happy. It's all ridiculous, isn't it? Because it's happening out there, not here. How do I change what's happening out there? What's the most powerful vehicle I have for change in the world? I'll go one step further, and I think you'll all agree with me. What is the only vehicle for change we have? Ourselves. Right? Even if it's to... Even if it's to pull somebody away from an oncoming car, I still first have to have the wherewithal in me to be able to do that, don't I? And so that's just a practical application of it. it's a good thing that I was concentrated in that moment. But in my moment-by-moment moment life, what do I want to bring to this moment? Do I want to bring a mind? Again, do I really care about you? And I do. And I know you all care about me. Do I want to bring a mind that is so confused that it's rooted in deluded thinking that gives rise to greed and aversion? Or do I want to develop a mind that in this moment and in each and every moment can understand what it means to be a human being? And if I can bring that understanding into this encounter with you, I can now give you everything that I could ever give you, which is a present me. And if I can bring a present me to you, then I can understand you. And if I can bring a present me to the world, then maybe we can understand the world. And then maybe, it's not the point of the Dhamma, then maybe we can make a real change, which we do every moment by our, our own example. But that change will always be rooted in calm. It will never be rooted in further agitation in the world. It will never be rooted in, you have to change because I said so. I have to change. And I'm so glad I got to the point through the Dhamma where I could say, and I said so. It's up to me. It's up to me to do this. It's up to me to be motivated to do this. From the cessation of contact comes a cessation of feeling. I'm no longer using that great emotion that caused me to go out in the world with the idea of doing great things, but because I was lacking understanding, I hurt people at times, inadvertently. Or I contributed to systems that inadvertently hurt people. Or I just walked through the world in a way that was ignorant, and I didn't realize the trail that I was leaving behind. Think of um, Pigpen from Snoopy. He was, I think everybody knows what that is, right? We no longer, we don't realize this swirl of crap we're dragging around in the world because we don't understand. And again, most of us are naturally gentle gentle and compassionate and relatively honest. And I'll, I just say that term because most human beings can't be honest 100% of the time because they don't, they're lacking understanding. And we get upset when we find that we're fabricating the world. We feel the tension that in this moment, I'm molding me into something I'm not and it doesn't feel good. But I'm doing it because I don't understand. But when I understand, I no longer have to be the potter. I can stop spinning the wheel and I can just rest in understanding. From the cessation of the sixth sense base comes the cessation of contact. From the cessation of contact comes the cessation of reacting to my feelings. Because I understand. 
From the cessation of feeling, reacting to feeling, comes the cessation of craving. Because I'm no longer reacting to the way I feel, there's nothing left within me to give rise to craving. Because I no longer feel what that drink did for me, it gave me a little bit of an escape from eye-making in this moment. But because I understand it, no longer have to do it, now I can just feel what I was hiding from my compulsive behavior. Do you see? Now I'm alive. In that moment, and in no other moment, I'm alive. Now, because of my aliveness in this moment, I can understand what's occurring. And I can carry that moment because of concentration into the next moment. And into the next moment. And so now, what is framing my life in that way? Rooted in concentration. It's simply right view. It's simply a right view that doesn't need to always fall back on the reminder of this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am, because that's its life to objectify awakened, full human maturity. That's simply the quality of that human life. From the cessation of craving comes the cessation of, of incessant, I'm putting that word in, clinging and maintaining. Because it's incessant, clinging and maintaining, that is stress. It, that's the palpable feeling of stress. It's our internal clinging and maintaining, the fabricated views of self. From the cessation of clinging and maintaining comes the cessation of becoming. From the cessation of becoming comes the cessation of giving birth in this moment to another moment rooted in ignorance. From the cessation of birth comes the cessation of sickness, aging, death, sorrow, pain, distress, despair, and confusion. Wisdom, understanding, brings a cessation of the entire mass of stress and suffering. So said the Buddha. That's the end of the sutta. Um, before we go, I know David, what time do we have to leave? David, we have, my, we have a, a hard... What time is it? It's 9.40. Oh, yeah, 10. We got a few more. Can we go to 10 o'clock? Oh, 10.30. Well, we'll go to 10 o'clock. Um, and Mateo, I know we were going to have a teacher's meeting, uh, um, and I'll call you first, um, but can we uh, do that teacher's meeting after I get home, about 15 minutes after the end of the uh, class? Hello, Mateo. I'll let you answer. So after 15 minutes, when we finish... Yeah, it'll take me about 15 minutes to get home, and then I can we can zoom in. Sure, sure. We'll wait for you. No problem. Okay, I'll... Uh, I think I'll have a... I'll send you an email. I think I have your phone number, too. But one way I'll notify you. So, uh, okay. And Brian, if uh, please join us if you can and if you'd like to. Uh, so, Mateo, what do you think about today's class, and how's your Dhamma practice? Yeah, all good, all good. It's a bit, uh, bit busy this period, but it's fine. Um, well, what I can say, uh, it's. I think that the, the core value here at this is like to think about our own ignorance. So, like we're we're getting caught up too easy in what's happening in our worldly life uh, and uh, you know the stress. But then, like I said, we just come back to our brain, and we're just like. It's very important to remember our state to don't raise our eye-making yeah. every day. Yeah. And think, to not take personally whatever happened, because at the end of the day, everybody must die. That is good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, we just don't know when. 
So yes. again, it's, it's just, it, it is, it's just, it's a simple sentiment that resolves itself as why do you live now then? Because the next minute might be gone. So just in contrast, Matteo, that, that ever diminishing eye making, how has that affected the quality of your life? Um, I think at the beginning when I tried that like two years ago, I turned like completely on the other extreme, like totally careless. Cause I said, okay, I don't take anything personally, whatever happens. Like, it's not my problem. But then, like, you know, I rebalance that, that I say, you know, you you care, but not not to lose your mind. Yeah. What happens. Yeah. And, and again, thank, thanks for describing that, because I think we all go through that, where at first it can seem like, you know, I'm just, I just don't want to do it. I don't want, I don't care about anything in the world. But that's, that's an aspect of aversion, which is a subtle aspect of eye making. But with continued practice, like you just described, Mateo, it does balance itself out. And you realize, I realize how, I, I realize how deeply I care about the world, but also how, what, how little I can do. And what's most important is the quality of mind that I bring into this moment. And so, again, I understand now when the Buddha taught that, that to guard the mind, to always be, be guarding the mind and the quality of the mind, because that is what we're bringing out into the world. And, and we are naturally then more, um, our love and care for other people is simply more effective because we're present. And, and Matteo, that last statement I made, would you say that's also true? Yes, yes, yeah. of course, because it, like, it's very trivial, but if you don't care about yourself, about your life uh, in a deep way, you cannot care to any, anybody else or even the world. Yeah. Can I, I found a lot, you yeah. know, a lot of these... Uh, psychotic pattern you know uh, i i very generalized now of course but you know there is a lot of people that do charity but then their their personal life is pretty bad yeah and i said you can do that if you never change your life so how you can expect it that the world change as you want it or, or as you think is good if your life is very miserable yeah yeah and, and a lot of people get into altruistic work because because they hope it makes them feel better and and that's fine. A lot of good work gets done in the world for other people, but that individual continues to suffer because they don't understand why they, they're doing all these good things and why do you feel miserable? I, I, I gotta talk, I'll talk about this quickly, but I know we have to go. I was thinking about this. When I recovered from alcoholism, and a lot of people, when they first recover, they, their first thought is, let me go, I want to be a counselor, thinking because you know, you'd know everything about it because of your own experience. And, and I started talking to counselors as I was having that thought early in addiction, and I talked to one who was really good and she was new. Um, she said, I've been doing this about five years. I still remember her name, wow. Um, and she said, I've been doing this about five years, and she said, I can already feel that I could get back burned out about it. And I, I, and I was thinking about that for almost 40 years because she was so enthusiastic about what she was doing. But even at that point, she was telling me, kind of out of the blue, <coughs> Excuse me. That could see, she could see getting burned out, <coughs> and my my thinking was why was why would you get burned out by doing something that you found so inspiring? But what I finally realized is because you're doing it out of more out of a sense of duty rather than just out of a sense of it's what you're doing and you enjoy doing that. And that's a significant difference. I made a comment to Tom, or we had a talk yesterday, about the difference between engaging in our life or exploring our lives 
or being a savior or a missionary in our life. It's two different things, isn't it? But being someone who has that idea of exploring your own life changes everything, doesn't it? And you're still bringing the same human quality to each and every moment, meaning a a human being imbued with great understanding and compassion, but it now is motivated by that wisdom. And so it's much more effective and induces calm. So thank you, Matteo. It takes out the the eye-making. Yeah. Because you can get into serious eye-making in in trying to help other people. Yeah, and and, and that just leads to getting angry why other people aren't changing or getting better because of all the time you're putting in with them. And and again, that that is what leads to the ultimately some people that could get burned out. It's because they're doing something. I mean, sometimes the job is just incredibly stressful. I mentioned the air traffic controllers. I, I think I heard something the other day, just as an example, that they have to retire when they're 56 because that job is so stressful. And again, it's just the point. You don't have to do anything that is stressful. And if we find ourselves doing something that is stressful, don't. We have a choice. Right, Deb? Hello, Debbie. Do you hear me? Sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. Popped up on my screen. Made everything disappear. <laughs> awesome lesson. Thank you. And the reference to using our feelings as a as a reference is just very helpful. Yeah. And as far as my practice, I'm keeping at it, as Ram likes to say, keeping at it, which I love. Yeah. Um, How, where, where are you in the course? I'm still on week two. I oh. apologize. Oh, no, 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 no apology. I, I was just curious because <laughs> I, I, if you've looked through the book, I don't know if you went, in, in week six and seven, we get into this again in a little bit more detail. So it'll probably make, well, it will make a lot more sense as we, as you move along in that study as well. Thank you. I I am feeling calmer because I am my concentration is you know improving and I'm not yeah. you know getting stuck on the conditioned thinking is if I'm saying that correct, you know what I mean? That yeah. not getting caught up in the eye baking, so yeah. to speak. I, I it's Thank so you. Thank you, Debbie. It's so significant that you recognize it as well. It's certainly bearing fruit for you. So, Thank you, Deb. Good morning, Brian. Morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. The thing that clicked for me this morning was the, the fabrications coming before consciousness. And if you're mentally fabricating bodily fabricating and verbally fabricating that's kind of all of it from a human perspective yep and if you're if you're ignorant of stress and you're ignorant of an ego personality in an impermanent environment that is stress before you can even become conscious of what's going on you're already gone yep we're born into it without the the concentration developed in jhana you can't get that separation to see that the ignorance or the fabrication or the the six classes of consciousness and you're just you're you're lost to that that chain i think that it's yeah. just really connected 
this morning. Yeah, and, and I, it, it's it's so brilliant. It, it, it's remarkably brilliant that a human being was able to figure this out without any other help. I mean, you know, this, he, right. there was nothing that you know, the Buddha just had his own mind and what was occurring in the world and in other people right. to realize these incredible truths. But it's, 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 it's still astonishing to me that he was able to do that and that it's still here and we can use it in such a skillful way. So thank you, Brian. Kevin, how are you? Fine, Dan. Good it's to good see to you. Be back. Yeah. Um, it's, um, it just shows to, to me um, how important the Sangha is. You know, after missing a couple of weeks and then coming back, you know, I craved to yeah. come back to the Sangha to hear. Skillful teaching. craving. Yes. And, uh, but, you know, all the while still being able to maintain my practice without fail. Yeah. And um, I love this teaching on um, dependent origination. It just shows how the Dhamma is so bound up in dependent origination. They're, yeah. they're not really separable. Yeah. How when I first learned about it, I thought this is going to take a lifetime just to understand this. But it really is very simple. And it's very, the way he takes it apart piece by piece. You know, it's yeah. six of this, six of this, six of this, and it's really all six manifestations or different manifestations of the different sense space. Yeah. So that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. And, and it and, didn't take uh, a lifetime. No, it didn't. Yeah. So um, it's nice and it's great to hear. And it's great to be back. And, you know, hopefully summer won't get in the way too much of the, the rest of this for a little while. Yeah. So good to see you all. Thank you. Good to see you, Kevin. You're enjoying Philadelphia then? Yes. Good for you. Good for you. we got to come down and visit you one of these days. Dhamma teacher Tom. Hi, John. Um, hello, everyone. I will second what Kevin said. Um, I've been uh, away a few weeks through sort of, um, you know, summer, summer engagements with family. Um, and so it's just really good to be back and uh, reminds me of the, you know, the importance of uh, this Sangha and staying connected to these teachings and prioritizing them. And, uh, you know, every class is a chance to reflect on yeah. how these teachings apply to our lives today in this moment. Yeah. And uh, as usual, it's full of um, things for me to reflect on. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's all. Um, otherwise, uh, yeah, great to, great to be here. Uh, thanks for the teaching. Thank you, Tom. Uh, Dhamma Teacher Ram. Thank you for another run-through of dependent origination. I really like the, the conversation we had here about, about stress and, and, and avoiding it and, and recognizing it. Yeah. Um, because this, uh, you know, this is part of the first noble truth to, to uh, understand stress. Yeah. And and the first thing you have to do is to recognize that there is stress. Um, so <coughs> if you're in a job that is stressful, um, at times you just think, oh, well, that's a job, and, yeah. and and you know that's or this is my life. Yeah. Um, and by the time you recognize this is stressful, then you're, f you're finally able to do something about it. Yeah. You know, to, uh, 
you're able. That's the key. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, I did think about you know people uh, that are that are stuck in in abusive relationships, which are you know uh, not only stressful but dangerous. Yep. Um, <clears throat> that this is uh, that 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 process becomes uh, very very uh, very tricky um, because now you're. You know, in 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 a stressful situation, anytime you you are actually balancing your your health uh, yeah. with uh, with your your insight. Um, but you know, there are many people that are that are that not only stuck in in stressful relationships, but also stuck in in stressful jobs. Yeah, you know, there is stress. You, That's you cannot always extricate yourself from it right away. But to to at least acknowledge that this is stressful uh, makes a big difference already. Yeah. Not you know oh you know it's fine it's just a yeah stress. it's just a consequence of having a human life. Mm-hmm. You know, we we've gotten. We, I don't need to go there anymore. But now you you're just you're so right, Rob. You 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 see that defining point. You know, it's it's just. What I, what, it's just the quality of my mind in this moment that determines right. this moment. But without the concentration, uh, it's uh, you, you can't quite understand the stress itself, which makes it very difficult to to actually uh, eliminate or uh, to to get yourself out of the stressful situation. Yeah, without concentration, then stress is just distraction, mm-hmm. and it always is. Yeah, and the, the it's it's such a central problem. Um, you know, so why haven't we why haven't we figured this out yet? Well, it's it's the it's what the Buddha described as the key problem for all humanity, and some people would argue that understanding stress is not the most important thing about physical life. But think about human evolution and how we live on the planet now after millions and millions of years, and thousands and thousands of years of creating intricate societal structures, and yet. We're still killing each other. How 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 what so what? How do how do we grade evolution in that sense? I would say that this is what we should be evolving to as a species. It, it doesn't make any sense that we would evolve to be that we would want to evolve to more than just to understand what it means to be what you are. So we, I, I again, I think that we are doing something that is incredibly ordinary. But it is also um, contributory to everything else in the world in a non-salvific way, contributory to human evolution in that way. Yeah. I often think that, that the Buddhist Dhamma is, is, in a way, sidestepping physical evolution. You know, we're driven by all these forces in, in evolution, and, and the Buddha says, just recognize them, and you're no longer... You're no longer bound by them. Yeah, I, I think that that's an interesting way to look at it because we, we're, what Brahm said is we're, the Dhamma allows us to sidestep what's going on in the world, which is a, a, maybe even a better word to use than not getting entangled in the world. But so the... Uh, why am I going on like this? The, 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 the Dhamma in that scenario just, just shows again how important it is to bring that calm and peaceful mind into this moment if, again, if we hope to, to make any useful change in the world. But that shouldn't be our desire, and it's not. We, it, it, then it's just, then the world is still the world. Imagine if everybody awakened 
according to the, these Four Noble Truths right now, that the only difference in the world would be significant, wouldn't it? We'd be all calm and peaceful. We would stop hating each other through understanding. And then all this, all this, the, the, the um, systems that are now leading to, to constant um, corruption of the, of the human experience would simply fall away. There wouldn't be anything to address head on like we like to do. You know, because the problem, no problem is is ever resolved completely head on. The problem is only resolved when I, when I change and when we change. But so that's why I said, I don't know why I had to get on this tangent when we have to get out of here. But to me, this is human evolution. At least it's, it's our, I think, significant contribution to what we should be evolving to. Right, David? Right. I thought about a few things and what Ram just said, without, without the practice, we just go from compulsion to compulsion to compulsion. Yep. Whether it's a negative or a positive. Yep. And with our practice, the thought that always comes to mind after this teaching of dependent origination is the scene is just seen. Yeah. And the calmness of that that thought and that reality that this practice brings, that the scene is just seen. Yeah. And I thought about your conversation with Tom, and Tom's question, can he have a business structured within the Eightfold Path? And just imagine a group of people that have that mindset, that the scene is just seen, and the cognize is just cognized, and what powerful things that they can do okay. with that calmness and clarity. So, thank you. Yeah. Again, it, it just, we, are, we aren't saviors. It's not a salvific thing that we're teaching. But just imagine. Mm. <laughs> imagine if everyone thought like I did. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is, is, is really just ourselves. This is the most personal thing we can do which paradoxically is becoming impersonal about all aspects of our lives. It's not a bad deal, and we can all do it with continued right effort. So we'll continue this uh, series on Jhana uh, Tuesday. I think David is teaching Tuesday. I'm teaching. David will be teaching Tuesday. And we'll finish as we always do with Metta. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath, and let that mindfulness of your breath Unite your mind and your body. Why is that thing going that way? Oh, it must be reversed. Okay. The Karaniya Metasutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. Unburdened with duties and peace and... <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. Peaceful and calm and wise and skillful. Not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be. Whether they are weak or strong, omitting none. The great or the mighty. Medium, short or small. The seen and the unseen. Those living near and far away those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. 
Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class today. Peace. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.